This podcast is made possible by our supporters on Patreon. At the $5 tier, you get a personalized and unique spooky story of how you became a camper read on the air. And at the $10 tier, you will also receive a high-quality enamel pin with our logo. Visit patreon.com SSFC or visit the link in the show notes. And now, without further ado... You're listening to Scary Stories from Camp Roanoke. This is a podcast where we tell true scary stories that we hear from the television, and then we (laughs) retell them to you in this audio format. Mm -hmm. My name is Katie Wiggins. I'm Morgan Campbell. And I did something fun on Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify or if you're interested in listening on Spotify, I organized our episodes into categories and sections like listener episodes, New England haunts, nautical haunts. The British Isles, so you can sort of find the precise vibe you're looking for. I could have gone deeper and more specific, like the episodes from <laughs> the weather paranormal, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was like, that's too that's too far. You got to work for far. it a little bit. You have to work for the <laughs> to understand the paranormal mm. uh, climate episodes. Um, the Those climb, are deep cuts. The weather ones and the dog ones are some of my absolute favorites. There's something about the weather ones that really get me. But my favorite ones, I think, are Haunted History, mm. which I also did the Haunted like American History ones, where mm. I tell you like the most completely bonkers series of vignettes anyway those are some of my favorite episodes like the the gory florida keys and the haunted caribbean those are some of my absolute favorite those episodes we've ones. done they're so bizarre i always learn so much which is probably like 60 percent true um but you can find those that's so exciting yeah it was fun and satisfying to be able to categorize it mm. I was saying to my therapist the other day that I wished that podcasting, you know, I was like, I have these dreams of myself as like being like a prolific writer or intellectual in these artistic ways. And it's like, well, I actually do have like a a library of, of my work out mm-hmm. in the world right now, but it just doesn't feel like it because it's not physical and because it's... It feels so kind of disorganized and stuff. We should sell CDs. And we should print them (laughs) on CDs. We should put it on tape and then sell like a jumbo tape pack. One episode per tape. Um, And and I would honestly feel maybe more accomplished as an artist. That would be amazing. If I could just like thumb through my tapes and be like, oh, this is great. This one, we talk about a ghost town and I make a joke about this and... Yeah, so I don't know. It We're just made me feel closer. better and more and more like I was getting closer to having like a categorized body of work available to the public. Hell yeah! So today I'm going to do an episode from Psychic Kids. Oh yay! Which is such a good show. It is like half group family therapy session. Mm. I'm actually going to say 75% family group therapy session. And then a really good amount, whatever's left, (laughs) of um, is like crazy paranormal 
oh my god, psychics are totally Perfect. real, and these teenagers are so awkward, but I love they it. are also so psychic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. It's uh, I think most of the seasons are on Amazon Prime, um, and I love it. So the episode that I chose, it compelled me because. I just really felt like the teens were really significantly, like, changed by this mm. experience. Um, and they almost always are. The kids and the teens who go on the show basically always have a dramatically positive result. That's fantastic. And that is, like, borne out through years. Like, when they mm. did the revisit of the new Psychic Kids show where they have... The new mentors are the ones who were the psychic kids. They still talk about the experience as being a really positive one, That's which so is cool. so great. And you love to see when a television yeah. show shockingly has a positive <laughs> impact on its participants. That is just fantastic. That's amazing. Might be the only one. <laughs> Maybe the only. Um, so psychic kids. Uh, we are first, these are teenagers in this episode, and our first teen, her name is Nicole, she's 17, she's from Anthem, Arizona, and I was really compelled by her because she seemed pretty desperate for <sighs> compassion and understanding and help. Um, she's very pretty, and she's got these big doe eyes she's like very american teenager she's got really curly blonde hair and really big eyes and and she seems like your standard arizona mm. like almost like hayden penetier like cheerleader in heroes but like Hay hayden penetier's character in heroes she has a dark secret that isolates her from uh <laughs> friends and family she is extremely psychic, and she is plagued by paranormal activity, constantly spirits trying to talk to her since she was six years old. Oh, my and God. she's been withdrawing from her family since she was about six when she started experiencing this. Um, she, Nicole feels very isolated from her family because she's so different from them. Mm. And several members of her family don't believe or support her in this. They basically just think she's like a high drama older sister who's just like making it up. My family would say that about me. A lot of them. If yeah. I was psychic. So Nicole channels spirits. She doesn't just see them. Sometimes she gets her body taken over by them. Oh my gosh. And this gets gives her extreme anxiety and panic. She hates when this That's happens. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and in case this doesn't sound like a very typical case of borderline personality disorder or CPTSD, stuff like that, she once channeled a close family member who had passed on and her mother talked to her while this was happening and she was able to answer questions that only this person would know so her mother is like okay <laughs> like oh, this is the real deal she oh, truly is channeling spirits so nicole was a top student but she has dropped out as a result of her abilities and the overwhelm she experiences and the way that it's isolated her from her peers 
which is so extremely sad. Ugh. And her worst fear is that her isolation will only spiral deeper, and one day she'll just find herself completely alone. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. But there's a happy ending. Okay, good. So, our next kid, he's from Somerville, Pennsylvania. His name is Ryan. He's 16. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but I did another episode of Psychic Kids at the at this time last year, at the beginning of the pandemic, and it was an episode in the new version of Psychic Kids where they use the old kids who are now the mentors, mm-hmm. and it was a really scary story about a demon in the house, and then they mm-hmm. were like, holy fuck, this seems hopeless, and then they had to bring in another psychic kid, like a different mentor, so this kid will grow up to be that mentor. Cool! Who will eventually help a young girl basically, like... Oh, that's so Cool. O- overpower an extremely dark spirit. So this is like his origin story. Uh, his name is Ryan. He's 16 in this when this is filmed. He can see and talk to spirits. Uh, the thing that he doesn't like the most about it is how frightened and overwhelmed he gets because mm-hmm. spirits just literally pop up kind of when you least expect them. And they're like, hi, help me. Oh my God. <laughs> Tell my mother that I love her and that I also will never forgive my Uncle Frank. And if he tries to come to me, you have to tell him. Like ghosts are like very <laughs> demanding of psychics time and mental energy. And he just doesn't know how to handle that. Mm-hmm. And he also doesn't feel comfortable talking about his abilities with his friends. Mm. Which is a consistent, consistent thing. So many of these kids have been bullied because of this. That's so sad. I don't think I'm being overly kind about myself when I say I feel like if a friend told me they were psychic, I would believe them. Because that has happened to me. Really? Many times when I was younger. And I was like, oh my fucking God. Tell me everything. (laughs) That would be my reaction. That's dope. I would be like, that is so fucking cool. (laughs) I I didn't, I would not think that that was, well, I didn't. In the actual experience of my life, I was like, holy shit, you have to tell me everything. (laughs) Um, But uh, unfortunately and apparently, most American school children are not like us. We'll work on that. So when he, this sort of started when he was 10, and he had a dream of his aunt. His aunt comes to him in a dream and tells him that in six days, he was going to receive a phone call saying that his aunt was sick, and the next day she was going to die. And that exact thing came to pass. The aunt that was going to die came to him in a dream. Yeah, and was like, Wild. I'm going to die in seven days. (laughs) That's so wild. (laughs) it is i wonder if the aunt was like consciously did that i mean that's insane so absolutely insane i love it yeah so he was basically visited by a living person um and the exact same thing happened she dies in seven days and his mother was like what the fuck fuck that (laughs) like i do not like that you just told me that uh and later he has a premonition of a fatal motorcycle accident that comes to pass 24 hours after he has this oh vision. Oh, my God. Yeah. So as a result of all this, he experiences depression and sort of a persistent <sighs> sadness. And he and his mother wish that he didn't have to be needlessly exposed to 
deaths that he can't mm-hmm. do anything to prevent. Mm, yeah. It's just like, why am I only being shown negative things? I can't do anything about these things. And it just makes me feel like shit. Ugh. These two teens and their moms <laughs> are going on, <laughs> on a weekend retreat. And they always go to different places for the retreat. They always go to a haunted location. And Cute. they are going to Rochester, New York uh, to learn about their abilities. So they're going to Adams Basin Inn, which is 10 steps from the Erie Canal. Cool. Uh, yeah. So David Haynes, the owner of this inn, explains the history of the home and why it's haunted and why they chose to stay here. So it was built in 1815 by the Adams family, not that Adams family. <laughs> They're down in Central Park. Um, but they sold it eventually to the Ryan family. And then Mrs. Ryan would eventually die in the living room Thanksgiving 1922. And I know, I know. It's oh, so my good. God. I know. Such a dramatic move. And <laughs> after that, the family literally, like, mid-meal, they, like, handle her body, I hope. I assume. Have I told you that my great-grandma died on Thanksgiving? She my, wasn't with us, but she died, like, we got a call during dinner. My grandma died, like, three days before Thanksgiving. Like, three. Oh. I honestly think they do it for the drama. I swear <laughs> to God. It's just like, I can't stand another fucking dry turkey. Or, or it might just be, like, for practical reasons. They're like, people already have flights booked. <laughs> Everyone's here. You're gonna be here. We might as well have a wake. In the same week as Thanksgiving. <laughs> Do you know how fucking exhausting it is to, in a single week, go to a Thanksgiving dinner, a wake dinner, oh. and a funeral dinner with all the same people? Oh. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's miserable. In the same fucking house and we just find ourselves sitting at the table again being like, here we are. (laughs) It's like shoving all the holidays in the same week and then having two of those holidays be about remembering a loved one. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking miserable. (sighs) Anyway, so this grandma like took the same route. And then the family literally, I mean, I wish I could have done this. They leave the house and then they (laughs) literally, like in The Simpsons, like nail the abandoned sign over the door. And they're just like, I wash my hands of this bullshit. And then they leave it undisturbed for 50 years. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because who wants to deal with that mess? It's an old big house and I'd rather just fuck off to Palm Springs. I don't (sighs) give a shit what happens here. Oh, I'll take care of the house. I think no one stepped up to the plate. So in 1972, new owners buy the property. From whom they buy it, I do not know. Uh, But when they first enter it, they're shocked to find... They must have bought it sight unseen on the interior. Shocked to find this, like, fucking haunted mansion dining room table is still set for Thanksgiving 50 in 1922. (laughs) I know. That's that terrifying. Is so terrifying. Like the idea of like cobwebs on glasses. And like the last time that like tablecloth was moved, like a dead body was being pulled off. I'm like, Grandma, we have to like pull her fingers off the table, <laughs> get the silver out of her hands. 
<laughs> You'll have to forgive me if I'm not sentimental about this because that Thanksgiving funeral extravaganza week really took it out of me. <laughs> We had to drive to a different city. We had to drive out of the country to go to the funeral of my grandma. Oh. Wait. Your great-grandma. My great-grandma, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Both your great-grandmothers are living. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by my Etsy store, The Second Harvest. At the second harvest, you have the opportunity to commission beautiful, custom little portraits of beloved animals, your many lovers, the Count who funds your operas, or to make another person's day with a really meaningful gift. No contact required, you selfless little minx. And if you've been swept up in the recent spiritualist movement, I'm also offering terror readings there. So if you're in need of a little guidance, validation, I'm here to help. All my offerings start at just 30 American dollars, and I shall provide a link in the show notes. <laughs> so, so this is where these psychic teens I just described are going to come Hell yeah. hang out. Um, so in terms of paranormal activity, now it's an inn. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, one night, a guest saw a woman in white sort of walk and disappear in the back of her room, like 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> and then another recent bizarre happened. And this happened like a year before this man is talking. He says that a guest walked into the front door and saw like two men standing near the entrance of like beyond the vestibule. And they were both wearing like top hats and like dinner liveries and, you know, like... Uh. They were dressed for the evening, uh. and of course, um, there were no such people at that inn that night. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just vile. I don't like that. It is a very haunted mansion that there's like, or what else is it like? The Shining. Have you heard of it? Uh. And it's just- <laughs> Just having people dressed for a party still sort of around. Mm. Oh, disgusting. Mm-mm. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. So so Chris Fleming is the psychic mentor who will be helping the teens with their abilities. And he arrives early to the inn to get a feel for the place and to see what his impressions are before they, he sort of sees what the abilities of the teens are. Mm. So Chris, he sort of... He looks... Like, he probably works out a lot, which, like, I'm, like, suspicious of that. Yes. <laughs> Anyone who does that. Um, and, <laughs> and he looks pretty, like, tanned and, like, he gets his eyebrows waxed. So, like, these are things that I'm, like, what? what I feel like you? he rides a lot of bikes. Like, he's a bike so, rider. Well, I was just, like, kind of curious. I was, like, I wonder if this guy will be, like, dramatic and weird and mm. not good for the kids. I don't know why, but those physical markers just seemed, like, my... I was a little suspicious. But yes. he ends up being a really positive influence, and okay, he's then. good, and, you know, he's he's a good guy. So, uh, he arrives early, and he's walking through the place with the owner, and he's like, I see a man immediately. He's wearing, like, a top hat and, like, fine... Like a collar and coat and stuff. Oh. And and then they go into the dining room and he's like, I see a, a short, older woman. She called my name. 
Um, and he was like, oh, her spirit is, like, very much here. Mm. So then Nicole and Ryan, our psychic teens, and their moms <laughs> arrive, at, <laughs> arrive at the inn along with, well, along with Edie Nathan, who's a licensed therapist, and she helps with the sort of emotional side of things, facilitating. So they sit down in the inn to chat and sort of take everything in. And Edie has a very calming, measured voice. Mm. I love her already. (laughs) (laughs) And she asks uh, both of the teens what the hardest thing about having their abilities is. Mm. And Ryan says that it's the constant. And teens are are fascinating creatures. Mm. I think, like, as a culture, or at least I just personally... Think of uh, sort of brought up thinking of teens as almost like a third species between child and adult. <laughs> yes. Like you just like briefly turn into just a completely different thing mm-hmm. that has no relation to either <laughs> to either bookend. Like you are just a complete third thing and then you turn into an adult. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> but when I found watching psychic kids and watching a bunch of like 11 year olds and then 12 year olds and then 14 year olds and then 17 year olds and stuff, you know, the sort of array of like preteen to teen is that a lot of teenagers really are just like fucking eight year olds, nine year olds in like big gawky bodies. And they may have like some more brain function happening and they may have some some more maturity and emotional intelligence but most of them are like still just getting used to like shaking hands with people when they meet them you know like they're they're awkward and they kind of talk in a monotone and they're not using a lot of facial expressions Mm -hmm. like they feel very like closed off and very like confused about what they're what's being expected of them and what the norm is in the situation Uh, they they, call me a teenager baby one of the reasons so many people were like oh, you just seem so mature to me when I was younger is because I just like was obsessed with watching old movies and I would be like hi old sport how are you keeping nowadays <laughs> wonderful just wonderful I'd like the cut of his jip and people are like she's like 70 right it's like nope I'm just 14 and weird um, <laughs> in a very specific way but these teens they're always like so, like, what's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? Um, I don't know. Like, they're, they just, like, their eyes are looking different ways. And mm-hmm. They're just, like, weird. I don't know. Like, breathing in weird parts of the sentence. I'm like, you guys are fucking children. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he says that because he's just exposed to so much negative shit, it starts to make him feel negative. And his mother, like, fully believes him, but feels that his abilities make him angry all the time, very closed off, and just sort of like a hair trigger temper. It's almost like you could compare it to, like, having a chronic illness or having, like, chronic pain. If something is sort of always gnawing at you, you are so much quicker to just, like, be angry or not tolerate things. Like, it just really changes kind of your whole window of tolerance and happiness and personality totally so their goal is to come away from the experience with like a better relationship between him and his mom and just like try to make it more manageable 
And they ask Nicole why she's here and she, you know, dead-eyed, picking at fingernails uh, because I can channel and see spirits. So they ask her to to elaborate on channeling and what does that mean? And she's like, well, it basically means I'm not in control of my body. And she says she has oh. basically, she sort of gets energized and she's like, I don't really know what like, my purpose is. And I feel like I have no idea like who I am as a person. And I'm like, ah! Oh. So... I love her. I know. I really feel for these teens. I really fucking do. So Chris takes the teens on a tour of the inn to sort of see what they pick up on. And this is, you know, the died at Thanksgiving drama grandma Mm. um, (laughs) situation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they go into the dining room. And they're both kind of surprised by the intense energy inside. They're both like, woof, goosebumps, ugh, feels weird in here. And Nicole is like, oh, I don't like it in here. It feel- Also, when I'm doing impressions of these kids, like, reduce my, uh, like, emotions and variance of speak down, like, 50%. They are like, <laughs> feels weird, it feels hot and uncomfortable. Um, I feel like it has something to do with, like, they're just monotone. Um and I think that actually has to do with them being partially in their fight or flight, like, this whole time. Mm. I don't know. It's interesting. And they're on about. TV. That's that's a lot yes, for kids. there is to... also a camera in their fucking face. <laughs> uh, Nicole says she feels really uncomfortable and hot because there's just energy bouncing around. And she says it has to do with the cups. There's a china cabinet and it's fill, filled with tableware. And Ryan agrees and he says... He says, I want to be setting the table for like a feast. And he says, it was like there was a feast here, but something happened and a lot of people didn't eat. And then it ended. They didn't get to eat. (laughs) (laughs) What a drama queen. That goddamn grandma. Literally couldn't have waited till dessert. So the the teens and Chris go to one of the bedrooms And Ryan says he just wants to stand by the window and just look out of it. And Nicole goes, yeah, it seems like there was someone really depressed and who would just like stand right there and that they had uh, considered suicide. And Nicole clarifies that it's a woman that she's getting this feeling from. Uh. And this is the room where guests have seen like a woman in white. Meanwhile, the moms are chatting with Edie. And Ryan's mom knows that his abilities drain him incredibly and give him a really short fuse. And she would like for him to be able to turn it off sometimes would be like the ideal thing that Mm -hmm. he comes away with is the ability to just like sometimes turn it off. Nicole's mom has the same wish. Basically, every pair of parents that are on this show have the same wish. And it's really sweet Um, because as it stands... Nicole is constantly being bombarded by spirits talking to her and asking her for help. And she has no privacy or peace or opportunity for real rest. I feel like parents don't teach their kids enough about boundaries and how to set boundaries with people. And I feel like if kids are given better tools for that, maybe they could be better equipped if they're psychic to set Um, spiritual boundaries. I swear to God, the word boundaries like didn't even exist until like six weeks ago. Right. Um, so as like a concept in the parental mind, boundaries did not exist until next Tuesday. So I think you're on to something. Um, and I think you're really, 
I'm ahead of the game. Yeah. I really I really feel for both the parents and the kids in this situation. Um, but I really feel like sometimes parents can get sort of caught in their own helplessness about how to help because they're not familiar with what's being asked of them. Totally. And so they will just not do anything and just yeah. accept the situation as it is and just be like, oh, well, she's just got that quirk where... She never feels comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll be like, it's horrible and it breaks my heart that I can't help her. And then you're like, well, there are several books. And they're like, breaks my heart that I can't help her. But I mean... Obviously, these parents are trying because they're on a motherfucking television show. So there's, there's like, probably not a lot of resources available to them. But, I mean, I'm of the camp of, like, seek them out. They probably exist somewhere. Yeah. So, um, both parents really hope for their kids to be happy and peaceful. That is, like, the ultimate wish. So Edie ma- meets with Nicole to chat one-on-one in a gazebo. It's a really beautiful area. I'm happy that these kids have like a new environment to sort of sink their teeth into. And Edie asks how her friends and family deal with her abilities. And she's like, they don't. She's like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> she's like, my dad like says that I'm crazy and like tells me to shut up and then my older sister like basically like follows his lead and like thinks I'm crazy and like just wants me to shut up and like stop <sighs> if I were the mother I would have already divorced the husband Morgan. don't call my daughter crazy uh and Edie's like what would you like to come away from this with and she was like I just want to learn how to like be more grounded like I've never been grounded like my entire life I really understand. As someone with anxiety, which can make you feel like you're buzzing three inches above the ground at all times. Yeah. Really understand. And so much of feeling grounded and working with anxiety is cultivating an experience of safety. Because that's really what anxiety is, is feeling like you are just completely on your own and like no one can help you and you are just falling. And... Cultivating an environment of safety where you don't have one of your parents literally telling you you're crazy for what you're experiencing. That's awful. That would be a big step. So Nicole and Ryan have a little, like, (laughs) moment hangout where they're acting like seven-year-olds and they're both just, like, (laughs) fiddling with their hands, looking in different directions. And she's like, so, like, do you ever, like, experience, like, physical things? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) All time. Literally, I'm like, oh my god, you guys. He's like, I'll probably like have a headache like for like a week after this. And she's like, yeah, I don't, I like already have a headache. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> yeah, like my head super hurts already. Um, but they're not. And she's like, do you like have friends that like you hang out with at school? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, that's good. I never did. <laughs> oh! It's so not funny. It's so, so not funny. I have been many times friendless in my life. I think it's funny because it's like I've been there. But it's funny because she's just like, I never did. (laughs) 
<laughs> just fucking telling someone that is so candid and incredible. And I also wonder if if she had started with that, if he would have been like, oh, well, I mean, I don't have that many yeah. friends. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I've got a lot of friends. Well. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of when the winter craziness hit Texas. We were out sort of playing in the snow before we got really fucking pissed at it. And uh, our neighbors were out doing the same. And I was like, hey, how are you? Like, oh, it's crazy, isn't it? And they were like, yeah, we should probably get like the fireplace going. And I was like. I, I, I wouldn't even begin to know how to how to do that. And then the guy was like, me neither. I have no idea. Oh, my God. And it just made me feel so much better <laughs> that I was like, I, I don't know how to do that. Wait, have you never done a fire before in a fireplace? No, I've never started a fire in a fireplace. Many outdoor fires, no indoor fires. You just gotta open the flute? People keep saying that, but nobody says what a flute is and how to open it. So, from my understanding, it's just a, cu- a little hat. And then there's like a a shifty little a thingy. Just like a, a lever? In, like inside of it. open it. Because my parents, when they lit their fireplace for the first time in their new house, my father, who's from Maine and has lit a million fires, did not open the flute. <laughs> so their whole house... <laughs> filled with smoke (laughs) so so then she's like i didn't i never had friends and then he's like why and she's like and she's like everyone just thought i was like weird and like i used to get like straight a's and they'd be like oh she's a nerd and she's weird and she sees things so i dropped out like a while ago i'm supposed to be a senior right now which is like a heart-wrenching sentence to say and then I'm sure he was just like, oh, that sucks. Like, they just didn't include it. It was just like, night falls. <laughs> Conversation ends. So, Nicole, you know, blonde hair, 17-year-old, I'm a psychic. And Chris, the psychic mentor, go to the dining room to investigate. And he asks her to open up to who's there. And she said, there's someone standing in the room with them next to the clock. He's male. And he's very negative. She's He's making her feel really dizzy. Ooh. And she says she feels like she's going to pass out. She says it feels like he's trying to get inside. She, he's trying to take over her oh. body. Ugh. Um, I think she just is such an open channel that spirits are like, don't mind if I mm-hmm. do. And Boundaries. Uh, exactly. So she says sh- she starts to look physically unwell she looks like someone having a panic attack um and a very visual panic attack because i can cover my panic attacks they look like nothing's going on (laughs) so she (laughs) says she has to get out of the room so they go into the parlor and she's like gripping chris's hand and she's like looks very unwell and she because she can feel this male spirit who's really angry and intense and she's like he'll hurt me if he gets inside me and Chris is like, that's not going to happen. You're not going to pass out. He's not going to get inside. And he was like, you can feel this angry male spirit in you right now. You know what you're going to say? No. And so the camera is on her face and she looks like she must mentally say no. And then she starts to like sort of physically <gasps> calm down and change. And he's like, 
what do you see now? And she's like, nothing. <gasps> and he's like, you see? I've got chills. I know. <laughs> just say no. It just like didn't even seem like an option, I think, to just say no. So the next day, Chris brings in Vicky, who is a teen who had been on the last season of Psychic Kids, and she's 18, so she's an old hat, uh, to help mentor these teens who are going to be working on a missing persons case. Cool. So uh, they're back in the gazebo, and she explains to them how Psychic Kids changed her life drastically for the better and that she now works with her local police department to help solve missing persons cases. Cool. So she's going to help them work on this one. They meet with Sergeant Scott Walsh of the local sheriff department. The case is this. Three years ago, a white male went missing. No contact with his friends or family since that date. He would have been, he was 19 at the time he went missing and they are all past a photo of this missing teen. His name is Brian Sullivan. And Ryan begins drawing an image of Brian with a lots more hair and like a scruffy beard. And then they reveal that the last photo taken of Brian, he is much more, his hair has grown out and he's fuzzier and scruffier than he was in the initial photo. So they're like validated. and But of course, cool. the look of a very validated teen is a blank downward <laughs> nod. Yeah. It's like when you're trying to compliment a child and you're like, you did that. That's amazing. And they're just like, gee, gee, Like they just like have no fucking idea what to do with validation. Uh, one day you'll be able to use all the muscles in your face to make smiles. So that's well, the information I just told you is all they tell the teens about Brian. Mm. But I'll tell you a little more. He was last seen at home with his parents. They go to walk the dog. And then he leaves with his car. And he's gone when they return. And that's the last they've ever seen of him. He went to his friend's house to watch a movie. Then leaves that night at around 10.30 p.m. The car was discovered in... Uh, uh, the car was discovered abandoned in a cul-de-sac surrounded by trees and the police did a grid and foot search of the area but they gleaned nothing from that search he just vanished wild so nicole and ryan are able to be brought to the abandoned car which is still like a uh it's part of the active investigation it's a i keep wanting to say prop it's not a prop Evidence. evidence. <laughs> yes, it's evidence. <laughs> so they're not allowed to touch it without gloves on. Mm. But they examine the car. They're brought one by one to examine it so that they don't, so that you can see what they come up with alone. Cool. And they both come up with like the same things. They both see cigarette smoke. They can tell he was a smoker. Drugs keep coming to mind. They can tell that there were other men in the car with him. Nicole can tell that one of the men has, like, fierce blue eyes and that that man knows what happened to Brian. They both pick up, both the teens pick up on a girl who was in and out with them in the car. Nicole describes her as being really skinny and short with auburny hair. And they're both experiencing nauseated headaches. 
So Vicky teaches Nicole how to like detach from the vehicle energy. Cool. Which is a really positive tool for Nicole to be able to detach. Hell yeah. Back at the inn, the teens explained what happened together to their moms who are impressed, but they're showing off in the way that awkward teens do, which is just mumbling what happened. And then one being like, yeah, and he drew it. And that was like literally exactly what the photo looked like. So, and their parents are like, wow. And they're like, yeah. So, you know, it's just like, whatever. It's not even a big deal. You can use your voice. You can smile. You can laugh. You can sing. I'm like, please, please give me something. (laughs) The three psychic teens with Vicky included talk about the struggles of keeping friendships, being bullied, and how things will change when they go home from now with this like really solid identity of like, I'm a psychic. I'm not just a weirdo. I'm not a freak. Like, I'm just a psychic. So they're able to eventually head back to the missing person's car. And Nicole guides them from there into the woods surrounding the cul-de-sac. Nicole connects to Brian's energy and she feels she has a headache like from crying too much and that she feels weak and that she feels like her physical state is being altered because of drugs. Mm. And Ryan chimes in (laughs) that he feels Brian. I'm laughing because they work on missing persons cases semi-frequently with the older kids on psychic kids. I think to give them like a channel for seeing how their abilities can be used to really help people and be put to like a positive purpose and to be Mm -hmm. proud of themselves and not just be like terrified or drained from it. Um, But (laughs) often with these cases, these kids will have to like be like, I'm seeing um, and I'm smelling um, weed. (laughs) And then, like, the sergeant or the other psychic will be like, "Uh uh-huh, weed, marijuana, and they have to, like, describe it. I'm sure it's very uncomfortable for them. (laughs) Not that I know what it smells like. Exactly. I'm, like, like, just assuming, like, it just smells like my brother's car, but, I mean, (laughs) it smells like my brother's car, whatever that means. (laughs) Ryan chimes in and he says... That Brian wasn't always this way, but that at age 14 or 15, he hit rock bottom and began really self-destructing. So they begin driving around and Ryan asks them to stop to investigate an old oil refinery, abandoned oil refinery off the road. And they feel strongly that the psychic kids feel strongly that Brian drove around there with someone and that there was a fight. So they park over there and they get out and like there's woods surrounding this old weirdo shaped oil refinery. What's an oil refinery doing in, I guess it's a refinery. They're not getting the oil, but still it seems like a weird spot in upstate New York. So they get out and there's like a gravel sort of road. It's surrounded by trees and they're like, there was a fight here. Uh, And the teens don't know it, but they've pinpointed another area that has been an area of police interest (gasps) cool for the case so ryan says like he feels like brian was involved in a knife fight and ryan is like this is where everything happened right here and nicole like bends over and starts to like cough a lot and they're like oh she throwing up and she's like no 
it's like connected to the case. And Vicky is really helpful because she's super psychic as well. And she can probably pick up on what they're also experiencing. And she's like, mm-hmm. does your stomach hurt? And Nicole's like, uh-huh. And she's like, is it connected to the case? And she's like, yeah. And she was like, I feel like he tried to throw up, but he couldn't. But that there was blood and that he had been stabbed in the stomach. Oh. So then... I know. This is so So, sad. I know. So then they meet back up with Sergeant Walsh, and they both feel that the last location needs a closer look by the investigators. Um, Ryan had also done some sketches that could potentially lead them to find where the the weapon is where that knife is. So he gives them some ideas to look for and are like, you guys need to re search this area. They are also able to meet up with Brian's parents, which is kind of crazy. Oh, my God. I know. It's like put these awkward teens in an even more emotionally charged situation. Um, So they're like, you know, sitting on the couch the way you sit on a couch when there is the sufficient amount of people on a couch. Like when it (laughs) when you could not fit one more person on the couch and you're like arms are just in front of you. And then someone's like, I think I'll choose now to take a photo when everyone looks so great. Uh, That's my nightmare. I mine too. (laughs) Well, I guess my nightmare would be to have my son go missing. But I don't have a son, so right now I'm connecting to the awkward couch <laughs> positioning. <laughs> um, so they're in this in their in Brian's living room, explaining. Oh. I know, explaining, and they were like, um, "Was there like some drugs and like?" And they were basically like, "Yeah, like yes, we did find evidence of that." And they sort of explained what they got and that they told the sergeant to do these things. And the parents were really grateful that they gave, you know, a new leaf to turn over in the case and a Mm -hmm. new thing to a new thing to pursue, you know, a new direction to go in. Cases get cold so fast. Exactly. Exactly. Basically, like, the moment, like, the murder weapon is gone and the perpetrator crosses state lines, it's just like, huh. Well, if he ever comes back to North Carolina, he's (laughs) done. You know? Like, (laughs) this shit can go cold so fast. And I imagine it feels really good for there just to be another thing to do from the parents' perspective. And these kids gave them that. And they're really appreciative. And the kids themselves are appreciative. And they're just like, thank you for letting me help. And this has honestly changed my life because it makes me feel like I can do real good with... You know, the (laughs) trauma that they've been experiencing for so many years. So that night, both Nicole and Ryan are feeling really hopeful for the future and satisfied with their work on the case. This is really the first time they've been given an opportunity to feel (laughs) worthwhile. Like they can, like they're not just swirling in their own heads, trying to manage this gnawing awful darkness that kind of swirls around them and instead being able to to channel that for society's good it must be a really incredible feeling using what you think of as like your worst nightmare and something that is the part of you that you wish you could cut off and it's like that part of you is making a mother like sleep better at night like that's so great (sighs) 
So that night, can you tell when I earnestly compliment young, awkward people, they have no fucking idea what to do? The way I'm like, you, the world is better because you are in it. And they're just like, (laughs) (laughs) So the next morning, this is the last day of their little retreat. Ryan tells Edie that he feels so much purpose from his experience with the case, and it's really opened his eyes to how his abilities that torment him can be channeled to be a positive. And Nicole, when she was asked, says that her abilities, she feels, have expanded and, like, stabilized. Like, she feels more, like, tethered, you know, to the earth. And that she's more grounded and she's discovered a a passion for helping people that she never realized before. And I think getting a teenager to admit that they are passionate about something. Incredible feat. (laughs) That's worth a television show's budget. That's That's worth... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the pay of those five crew members, the psychic and the <laughs> counselor, and a weekend stay at the Adams Basin Inn in <laughs> Rochester, New York. <laughs> Fuck that creepy top hat guy. <laughs> I'm going to read a Patreon story. So this is a story that I tell for our patrons. $5 and up, you get a little story of how you came to camp, written by me. So early every spring, when there's not a leaf in sight, but you're desperate for some form of life to burst out of the earth, and you're convinced somehow that spring will never truly come, Morgan and I like to travel north to avoid the leaf-peeping crowds and pay homage to winter at its ugliest time. (laughs) It's a much more depressing horizon than in the fall. A bunch of tree-covered low mountains that, without leaves, resemble skeleton stubble. But we take it in nonetheless. This year, we went up to Vermont and rented a spooky old house in a neighborhood of spooky old houses for something different. One day... (laughs) One day on the trip, Morgan and I watched from the kitchen window as a wooden clock was flung out of our neighbor's back door and into the dead grass. We looked at each other, unsure what to do, when another identical clock followed it. Morgan and I love drama, so we took our coffees onto the back patio to watch what happened next. Sure enough, a woman in yoga clothes stomped into her backyard holding another identical clock. She stared at it and screamed, die already on its face stop following me before sealing its fate like all the others and pelting it into her rocky yard as morgan and i diligently followed the path of the clock we saw that all the previous clocks were gone it was just the one that she had thrown the woman yelped noticing our presence it keeps coming coming back following me the clock she said Ah, the mighty march of time, I said. That's why we take vacations like this, Morgan finished. No, not time, the woman said. That clock, that specific clock. You'll never believe me, she said, exasperated. I think you'll find we're prepared to believe an awful lot of things if you give us a try, (laughs) I responded. (laughs) We'll come to you. Morgan and I made our way to our temporary neighbor's yard, and she introduced herself as Tina. 
So when did the clock start following you? It started with a prayer. Or, well, a spell. My family's owned this place for generations, and I've recently gotten into, like, ancestor veneration, that sort of thing, Tina said. So I looked for something in the attic to put on my altar for inspiration to connect with family. So I found this old clock, and I sort of did this spell with it, asking any family to connect with it and, and protect me and always be with me and keep me safe. And, and ever since then, it's been in every room you're in, shocking you at private moments and never giving you any peace, <laughs> I responded knowingly. Yes, Tina breathed. How did you... Easy mistake, I said. You did a spell inviting family, any family, into Oof. your life. And so they attach to the object and won't stop bugging you. With ancestor stuff... You have to ask for your well ancestors, the good ones, not just anybody. Have you ever heard of Bill Chambers? No, Tina said. Well, he's a major dickhead and an electrician in Orlando. You think I should invite him up to stay with us for the rest of the vacation? No, Tina said, confused. Of course not. But Bill happens to be my first cousin. Does that mean that I should have him around? That I should invite a sunburnt tradesperson with an attitude problem with me at all times? No. But he's family. No, Tina. Be specific. We could hear our post-coffee tea kettle whistling. So we... We, <laughs> we have a, a nice tea after our morning coffee. And then it's another coffee and then back That's, to tea. That was very us in the summers. <laughs> Absolutely. I was like, what hot beverage can we have now that we've finished our Houston, hot beverage? Texas. So, so we left Tina with our card and a standing invitation to visit camp at the beginning of the new season once she got her clock situation figured out. So welcome, Tina. <laughs> welcome, Tina. I hope you fix the clock. So she specifically mentioned that she lives in a really old house in Vermont and that she um, is interested in, like, ancestor work and stuff like that. So Very cool. This was her her particular request, which I was happy to fulfill. Hell yeah. Um, because it was fun and interesting. And also, like, kind of hilariously ties in with um, this episode and some of the themes mm -hmm. we were talking about. This yeah. is a great episode. Thank you so if much. If I may say so myself. <laughs> so too i hope people like it i hope they don't mind how deeply emotional so many of the themes we touched on while mm. while still maintaining a sort of resentful distance that we're so good at <laughs> <laughs> i love you guys thank you so much for listening to scary stories from camp roanoke you can find us on all the socials. I'm on TikTok as Lord Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. And you can become a member of our Camp Roanoke Mess Hall, and that's mm -hmm. on Facebook. You just answer the kind of episode that you are a fan of, and we let you in. And if you have your own ghost story, you can email it to us at letterstocamp at gmail.com. Please do. We love you so much. Have a spooky night. Filled with restless dreams. Of haunted Thanksgiving things. <gasps> oh. <laughs> <laughs> do your family members a favor don't die on thanksgiving just it's just, just rude it's just rude you think you're being practical no <laughs> it's not that's not how it how it shakes out bye bye
Bye.